Hi guys, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, I have a special guest with me today. Hi, my name is Sarah. I am an LVT and I've been working at Summoner Vet for 10 plus years now. So uh, we were going to go over a case today that uh, Sarah and I had seen together. This was a crazy stabbing case. Sarah, do you want to tell me, like, what did you see when you went out and got the dog? All I remember is that the the sheriff came to the door very calmly. <laughs> yeah, so w- the nice thing, though, is a lot of times when we do have the police departments or sheriffs or whatever bring in a patient, they will oftentimes have dispatch call us ahead of time and give us a little heads up, which is nice. So dispatch had actually called about five, ten minutes before presentation, um, saying that one of their officers was bringing in a dog that had been stabbed multiple times in the neck um, and that it was experiencing quite a bit of blood loss. So we knew that that was coming, but we know from experience, too, that a lot of times people really over-exaggerate blood loss and a lot of times a lot to them is really not that much. Right, like they came with a trickle coming down yeah, and they're like they're think that their dog out. is dying. Right, Everybody's exactly. bleeding out. Exactly. So, but knowing that it is police officers, they obviously have some experience in unfortunately gunshot wounds and things like that. And they tend to be a little more realistic about what they're seeing. So um, when they showed up, the officer came to the door. He was quite calm. Again, I think that has to do with their training, <laughs> I'm sure. Um, and he said that the dog had many penetrating wounds to the neck and that the dog had lost a lot of blood on scene um, that they had used a I think it was a t-shirt I think it was a t-shirt with a pad yeah yeah because they, they, they all they all carry you know obviously trauma kits for gunshot wounds and things like that so uh, I think yeah like a um, quick absorbent pad and a t-shirt I think they had wrapped around the dog's neck um, he said that the dog had collapsed and could not walk and that the dog was in the back of his cruiser so we went out there and the dog was laying in kind of the floorboard area of the back seat, but I could tell the dog was alert. It was looking at us and it wasn't um, unconscious or anything like that. So he originally was going to um, kind of help me scoot the dog out, but I could see there was quite a bit of blood on the kind of like the floorboard area of the, of the thing. So I just said, you know, it's just a grab and go. Um, luckily, this dog was a very nice dog, never tried to bite, never tried to, to do anything aggressive towards us. So I really just grabbed him with my arms kind of under the, the chest and, and hind area and just hauled him inside. The officer opened the doors for me and all that stuff. So Yeah, this wasn't on a gurney. This was like Sarah... Carried the dog. 90, 95 pounds <laughs> right. somewhere around there. Um, yeah, so I knew I knew just from experience that it was something quite serious. The dog was quite pale. Um, you could tell obviously it was going to be in shock and things like that. But um, like I said, most of the time when we have blood loss things, it really isn't as serious as most people think. But I think experience told us that this was probably something quite right. quite serious. Right. Um, so and by the time I brought the bug the dog to the back, I was like covered in blood. Yes. <laughs> so um, obviously the dog was losing quite a bit of blood. So and it was so hard to tell too, because the dog was, you know, shepherd, yeah. cute, long fur. He had thick fur. Yeah. Like just trying to yeah. shave him. I remember it was like trying uh, to shave through wool. Yeah. So it was really that hard was, to yeah, see. Yeah, it was really tough. Um, and so I think a lot of times when me and Sugarman have these cases, we go into kind of an automatic thing. I think mm-hmm. we're really good at that as far as our partnership goes. And I, he knows that I'm going to direct the other technicians and then he can kind of focus. So we know obviously there was a big penetrating neck wound. There was quite a bit of blood coming out. I wouldn't say squirting out, but definitely oozing quite definitely heavily. Oozing, yeah. um, so as a technician, my immediate thing is to get that dog in a, a safe manner for us to work on it, right? So when you have the neck wound, you're obviously worried about the airway and obviously your vessels, right? But so my immediate response is we need to get this dog sedated as soon as possible and get an airway in the dog. So 
two of the other technicians, I think it was Erica and probably Alicia, yeah, put a catheter Alicia. in right away. Yeah. Um, While you were able to go get the drugs. And, yes, and so I started grabbing yeah. propofol, fentanyl, I think were my yeah. main two I went to. Um, propofol is the easiest for these types of situations just because it's so fast acting and you can get the dog down so much faster, you don't have to wait for much. Um, so that's kind of your go-to. So I immediately just gave it propofol. I always guess, again, a mil per 10 pounds in that dog. By carrying that dog, I would assume it was around 90 to 100 pounds. So I grabbed about 12 mils of propofol, I yeah. think, somewhere around there. That's a really important thing. Like, we don't have to have an exact measurement for those things. Like, a, a rough guess is okay. We don't have to, like, take the dog over to get its its weight real quick. Like, this dog is dying. Right? Mm, we, yeah. Like, it's okay to estimate those things. Yeah. And same thing with, like, fentanyl. You know how you have such a big range? I think a yeah. lot of the drugs we use, we have such a big range. So just knowing in your mind with experience to what those ranges are and what you'd kind of prefer for those ranges, you know, for, for lots of pain and things like that. I think for me, I like to go between a five and a seven mic of the fentanyl. I think I did five to we start. We did five, yeah, because we weren't sure. Yeah, and again, exactly. I'm still guessing on the weight, but again, you have such a good range. It's not, you're not going to wildly overdose the stock on fentanyl, you know, when you're guessing about its weight. reversible, it's quick acting. That's one of the nice things about fentanyl. It's very fast. If you put it in, it's already, it's already gone out of the system within about 30 minutes. So Yeah. We had the dog down pretty quickly, intubated pretty quickly, and then obviously the first go-to is is where is that blood coming from? What's going on? Like you said, it has a really thick fur, so that can be really tough sometimes. And not only thick fur, long fur, but like double-coated dogs are so hard to shave down yeah. to like skin level. And so we, I think we both just grabbed clippers and yeah, started, we both started shaving, yep. shaving down. Yep. Um, was four or three penetrating? There were four penetrating wounds. One was really bad. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, I mean, there were a couple yeah, really bad ones. But the one that was the blood, the big the blood loss was coming blood. from, I think we both immediately focused on that. Right. Um, so obviously just yelling at the other technicians to grab the supplies we need. Which is really helpful for me as a doctor because then I can focus on just like what I need to focus on while Sarah is able to direct everybody else. Yeah, and so we've got everything. Uh, normally with cases like this, um, it's not uncommon for me to grab some sterile gloves, gloves as well. Luckily, you guys trust me quite a bit. So when we have these type of cases or cases where, you know, maybe I need to be doing some suturing, maybe I need to be doing some vessel clamping and things yeah. like that. Um, obviously, they're all comfortable with me doing that. So that's, I know that the other technicians can do the other stuff as far as physically hanging stuff and getting bags running and all that. I can just give them the direction and they can do that we can focus on this wound. Um, one of the things I love about working with Sarah is that I can, like she can bounce things off of me and I'm not gonna be upset about that, that I didn't think about it. You know, like uh, at one point she was like, do you think we need to give this dog vet starch? And I was like, yes, that is a great idea. You know, we're giving the dog fluids, but really like I need to keep those fluids inside the vessels. So absolutely yeah, like doing the vet starch is a huge deal. a lot of deal. like technicians knowing your difference between your calloids and your crystalloids, I think mm -hmm. um, unfortunately in veterinary medicine, we're also used to, oh, hang a bag of LRS. But when you do have these major blood vas vessel issues or hemovolemic shock or something like that, your LRS is only gonna go so far, right? And when you really want your pressures to come up in a fast manner and that can you know at this point you know you worry about this dog's cardiac output and things like that you need something that's going to stay in the vessel and that's what your your head of starch is our main one that we're going to go to or right. vet starch whatever way you want to call it um is our main one to go to and i think again knowing off the top of your head your general ranges makes it a lot mm -hmm. easier because us knowing those dosages the other assistants and stuff don't know those things right and so instead of him having to focus on oh get what i don't me calculate out this this dose of this i know what the general scope is of those and what i prefer as a technician as far as like my shock doses and things like that so i can very easily off the top of my head 
guesstimate the dog's weight, guesstimate his kigs, and tell them what they need to start plowing into this dog. Right. So again, me and him can focus on the the major wounds that are going on. Right. Right. Absolutely. And once we were able to, you know, start getting the dog's blood pressure up and really like focus on those wounds, it was really helpful just to have Sarah to be able to open up, to be able to hold things off for me, you know, clamping things like she was saying, so I could try to find where that bleeding vessel was because it was, by the time we actually got to the bleeding vessel, it was gushing. Yeah, it was well, gushing sure. at that point. <laughs> yep. So just trying to help visualize it for me so that I could like see to be able to get both pieces of that of that vessel that was bleeding. So once we got that, we were able to suture all of that off and just kind of like start focusing on like what all the other wounds and stuff were. Also having somebody else running the blood work really quickly for us was great because then I could get that back quickly and see like what that dog's PCV was. Because that's going to be really important to know like how much blood loss has occurred in this dog. Like do we need to give more blood? Um, So just like having somebody else to go do all of those things, those secondary support things is really helpful. I think a little side note too is like knowing what instruments we have available to us is really important. I think there's so many instruments here that we use on our daily basis that as technicians we're very familiar with and everything, but there's a lot of instruments in our facility that even though you don't use them every day, that means that a lot of technicians aren't familiar with it. So let's say when we were trying to get down to this vessel and it was really hard to get visual on that yeah. vessel because it was just bleeding so heavily and like so my immediate thought is grab suction, right? But there are certain tools we have, certain types of tools that are specific to certain things. So when you grab, oh yeah, my doctor needs suction. If you go grab a normal suction tip that you are using in, let's say an abdominal surgery for suctioning pulleys, you are not gonna get very fine tip you know, suction. You're not yeah. you're not gonna be able to visualize things that great. Yeah. But we have specific ones that are actually for blood and therefore mainly used in our orthopedic surgeries. Mm-hmm. That is one single fine point. And also you're not using a ton of space because it's a much fine pin, fine right. point tip and you can suction directly where that blood is coming and make visualization for the doctor much easier. I think knowing your tools and knowing what we have available is important because I think I'm sure if this same situation happened, a lot of other technicians wouldn't even think to go grab something like that. Right, the because, suction. The other thing that you had you mentioned know? was getting the gelpies. That oh, was yeah. also really helpful too. Like it's, you know, I was just going off of her holding everything, but really if we have the gelpies to open everything up, then she can go do other things as well, like getting the suction, mm-hmm. which was really helpful. And again, I don't think we even use the gelpies. I think we use the flat yeah, heads, we right? the flathead ones. Um, which again, I think is a thought process because we already have a lot of muscle damage and things like that. And yeah, I'm, I'm physically holding it open for him, but I don't want to cause any more muscle damage to something that's already got a lot of vascular muscle damage. So in my mind, it's like, I don't want to put more sharp tools in it already like something that we still can't visualize that great. So in my mind, it's like, what's the closest thing to my fingertips, right? And that's gonna be that flat edge, right? And it's not, you know that you can put that in there, it's still gonna hold the wound open, but it's not gonna cause any other damage to any other tissue or vessel, right? Right. So yeah, yeah, which was again, like super helpful because then that was holding everything open so that then Sarah can go get the suction to be able to help suction things so I could see what was going on. So it was just blood pooling everywhere. So after we had gotten the gotten down to the area where it was bleeding and able to tie that off, you know, then we were able to kind of focus on the other areas. And so Sarah started shaving the other areas of the dog, the other parts of the neck, because we thought that maybe there was something there at first. Um, And then after we got, I think we got to like three different wounds before Mm -hmm. we were like, oh, okay, there's quite a bit. The other ones didn't penetrate that far, but then we went and got x-rays on the dog. 
So we could see, like, was there anything that penetrated down into the trachea, was Arpica's concern. And when we did that, you could actually see there was a fourth wound on the back of the dog's neck. And you could you could see the, the trailing through the tissue, like yeah. in the x-ray. I mean, yeah. you can see directly where that blade went in and also gives you a pretty good indication of how large that knife was. Right. Easy a six, six to eight inch blade, I would think, to go all the way through that dog's neck from... In, I mean, you have to think about it from the back of the neck all the way down to the trachea or the tracheal area. It's like... Yeah, it was a big, big knife. <laughs> like the one on the back of the neck, it actually went... I could put my finger in and touch the dog's vertebrae. That's yeah. how deep it was. It was it was deep. But you could see it trail even past that, like past the trachea. Luckily, it didn't go into the trachea, but you could see it like had gone down to that area. And then one of the other things that Sarah had mentioned at that time, too, was that to, to make sure to get the chest because it could go into the mediastinum the way that he had stabbed the dog mm -hmm. you know if it had gone if even if it was like a stab wound to the side of the neck it could still the way that he stabbed it could actually go physically into the chest oh yeah for sure like downward angle i mean it people obviously can get stab wounds to their upper chest because of the way we are anatomy is we're standing upright right so when someone stabs down at you you're going to stab down into like the you know clavicle or mm -hmm. you know um, area and you're going to go right into the chest and this is the same thing with the dog and if someone is feverishly stabbing a dog they're not doing anything in any sort of like thought process right. manner it's not right? controlled yeah it's not yeah. controlled yeah. so easy you could be and i'm sure the dog was fighting him there's no way dogs just sitting there being stabbed right. right so you have to imagine that all the angles can be going any direction and that could also be upwards as well you know you right. could just stab up into the throat into the larynx area into the yeah. you know in theory into the base of the skull and things yeah. like that a lot of different trajectories you can get with with knives yeah so just making sure that you get like a wide area of that x-ray so we know like where those knives went in it was definitely a, a crazy case that dog did really well actually and mm -hmm. went home the next day i think yeah i think the next day yeah and he was actually sitting up awake within i think two hours of the procedure yeah. and the family was able to come back and see him and i think that you know i was talking with the client in the room um and the police officers that were on the scene were constantly calling her and checking on the dog and giving um, her updates about all the other updates. animals that yeah they and, it was terrible um but they were all shocked that the dog was still alive yeah. just just shocked because they said you know obviously unfortunately they see see pretty terrible wounds as well um from a multitude of things but um, they said, man, I just can't believe the dog is is doing that well. And not even on any sort of, in theory, life support, you know, right. at that point. He right. was just on fluids and pain management. He wasn't or anything. Yeah. Yep, exactly, just, just fluids just and pain Just bounced back. I think that yeah. dog really lucked out um, yeah. in a lot of ways that night. But I think, obviously, having the skill set that we had, I think, made a big difference in that yeah. case. Yeah, absolutely. That's kind of, like, why I wanted to talk about this case was because we had, like, it was just a good teamwork um, just with you and I, and then also just even the rest of the team, the supportive mm -hmm. team. You know, one of the big things is I love the fact that I don't always have to think about everything. You know, it, with some teams I have to do that, and that's really hard because I'm going to start missing things because I'm not focusing on the thing that I need to focus on, which of this dog was going to be the massive hemorrhaging that I needed to just stop. You know, versus Sarah can go and do all those other things. She can help with things. She can you know, manage things, she can run things, she can tell other people to go do things and, and delegate things. And I think that's really important to have that relationship that you can have somebody to be able to bounce that off of and Sarah not being afraid to do that with me. Well, and I think anybody, doctor or tech or assistant or whatever that works with me knows that I'm okay with pushing the boundaries. I think that too many technicians are, are put on the back burner and are not allowed to use their, not only their legally allowed skills, but 
skills that make you feel like what you're doing is important. Um, your critical thinking. Yeah, your critical kids. thinking. This is, you know, not the monotony is a lot of reason why people in the ER work the ER, right? Because we don't want to see the same thing day right. after day. But I also want to use my skill set. I want to, I'm, I'm a huge fan of not only animals, but medicine. I love the, the ins and outs of medicine, the science, the mechanics behind it. And I think challenging yourself as a technician to, to do those things and better yourself as a technician will make your job more enjoyable. I do want to see them want to do more and use their critical thinking and and you know really be uh, a really awesome technician you know that's you guys are learning all of these skills and like how to do critical thinking even with triage people don't think about that like that you are still using those critical skills for that you're still using critical thinking to do all of your triage stuff like that was the first step that you guys actually learn with doing triage. Now you just need to bring that into everything else as well. You know, doing critical thinking with the hospital patients and and even just, you know, like this dog, like the stabbing dog. Really like you should be using critical thinking for pretty much every patient that walks in. It's not gonna be like you're smarter than the, the doctor or, you know, there, sh there shouldn't be a contest for that. It's really just like, we're here to support each other as a team. For sure. And I think that having a good relationship with your doctor and having trust in your doctor, but having your doctor have trust in you makes both of you better. Mm -hmm. And not only that, but it makes for better relationships and it makes for, um, I think, just a better overall experience in this job. This job is really stressful. This job is really emotionally and mentally taxing. I think everybody in this industry knows that. But when you work with the people that you work with, you're each other's partners not enemies you know i think that yeah. too much there's a little too much division sometimes between um a doctor and techs or this and that and i think that it's detrimental i yeah. think and it's unfortunate because you know unfortunately i hear stories all the time from technicians who feel like they're not heard and they're not um their knowledge isn't isn't um appreciated and i think that that's really unfortunate because like you said it's not a contest it's not all here to do the same thing right we're all here for the greater good of the animals not yeah not to and, say who's smarter than who yeah and it's it's great to have doctors like dr sherman are such good mentors too because not only that but like he'll push me and i think that's great also it's a, it's great to be able to bounce cases other cases off of him as well for my peace of mind of what could I have done differently? What might have been a different outcome for this case? Um, are there things I didn't notice that I should have noticed? You know, that's an important relationship to have with your doctor, and it shouldn't just be checking boxes and right. marking flow smart sheets. Flow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's just not that's not that's not how we roll, and I that's that's not the way that I want to be a technician right. at all. Right, which which nobody should. I mean, you everybody should be able to you know go to their doctor and talk to them about like especially with the hospitalized patients you know if you see something like you guys are with those patients the whole time not me i'm seeing you know 15 things at one time and you guys are able to look at all the hospitalized patients and really like focus on them so if you come to me and say hey this dog was eating great this morning and now the dog is not eating very well like that should be something that we should be like okay why is this and like trust your gut even if it's not something specific if you just right. feel like your spidey senses are telling you that like there's just something off about that patient and something is worrying you, even if you're like, I don't know what to tell you, except for that I am concerned about this patient. Not only should you feel comfortable saying that, but it should be reciprocated and the doctor should should listen to you and then you guys can work together to maybe decipher what is that thing that's worrying you? Yeah. What is it? Like maybe together we can figure out 
maybe there's some maybe there's free fluid and that's making yeah. the pet feel a little crummier and it's something you can't visually see from the outside but it's something right. that is obviously a huge huge problem yeah and so trusting your doctor to not only listen to you but to to work together in that situation i think is important yeah there's actually like we actually see a lot of fluid overloaded patients and i feel like that's one of the main things mm-hmm. is, is like you guys just notice the dog is just like not breathing quite quite right or it's just more lethargic mm-hmm. than normal and that's where you can kind of assess those those things yeah do you have anything else you want to say about it no i'm just glad the dog did good i think <laughs> that, too. i think with that situation too i think not only without giving too much background unfortunately that was a terrible situation for this family and all of their pets were brutally killed and this was the one pet that lived and we were able to give them that hope that that pet would would, that they would get something back out of this terrible situation so i think you know it's not just about us it's about the pet but it's about that ripple effect right yeah because that family has lost so much but now they have their their dog their their little best buddy and um such a good dog such a good dog for a shepherd too just incredibly um well behaved and kind like i said never tried to bite once even you know i'm sure he was in shock and all that but you could tell that he just had a genuinely good personality he raised really well to give that family a little tiny piece of kind of what world was now blown apart back i think is really important and i think that that's a part of our job that i think we we don't really think about because a lot of times when these patients leave the hospital yeah we did our job and they're leaving the hospital but we forget that that's gonna that experience and um is gonna stick with that client until that dog passes away for whatever reason you know hopefully old age you know but they will say you know at one point we almost lost this dog and then the the, Mm -hmm. that dog will now mean more to them for the rest of that dog's life because they almost experienced that loss just like a person so i think we have to remember too that there's just so much more of a ripple effect in our job. Unfortunately, the the negative gets pushed pushed out a little too much in our job, um, and we hear too much negative. But just remember that every patient that leaves this hospital, or you have a good interaction with that client, that that will stick with that person, and yeah. that's that's going to make a difference in in their life going forward. So yeah, absolutely, especially with this this dog that was just. Just a terrible case. All right. Well, thank you, Sarah. I really appreciate you coming on and talking about this mm-hmm. case with me. Um, this is just such a, a big one. And I thought just we had such good teamwork on it that it really like showed how good we are just as a team, not just as an individual. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that I think specifically you, I think me and you have the ability to work together in a, a very high intensity way. Yes. And we've had multiple <laughs> cases like this before um, that after it's all said and done, we just kind of look at each other and we're like, whoa, we did it. <laughs> we did you it. Know? It's um, alive. <laughs> and I don't think that some, a lot of those patients would have had the same outcome had, yeah. had uh, I've been working with another doctor or you've been working with another tech. I think it's that's true. the reality, right? So yeah. just for the techs out there, I think you just have to push yourself and go outside your comfort zone because it's incredibly rewarding when you do get to do those high intensity things. Yeah. That you didn't think that you had the capability of doing, but I guarantee every person and our facility has the capability of doing Yeah, everybody does, for sure. I agree. All right. Well, thank you guys again for listening. And um, happy Tech Week to everybody. And I hope you get lots of goodies this week. All right. Thanks. Bye. <laughs> so I know I normally have a story or something for you guys afterwards. Uh, but today, I really just wanted to say thank you to everybody. All of the technicians in the ER, the hall technicians, um, the assistants, everybody, even the receptionists. I mean, you guys are all amazing. And so I just wanted to say that I see you, I hear you guys, and you're all amazing at what you do.
I really appreciate all of you, and um, I hope you guys do truly know that. So thank you again, and have a great Technician's Week.